0: If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530 892 Let's turn to the book of Galatians. We're looking this morning at chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. Galatians 2, 11 to 21. When Cephas came to Antioch, and you know that Cephas's name was Peter, Uh, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his faiths, writes the Apostle Paul. I opposed him to his faiths because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to understand your word. We pray your Holy Spirit would teach us and speak through me, and thank you for This study, I've been able to dig deep into this passage and, Lord, make it so abundantly clear that we may focus upon your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Galatians, the gospel of grace. Today's question is, what does focusing on God's grace entail? Now, there are two key words or phrases In this section of scripture, Uh, we find that Barnabas was led astray. We also find in verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. So how can we not be led astray from the grace of God? How can we not set aside the grace of God? Instead of being led astray or set aside God's grace, how can we have a laser focus on God's grace? That's the question that I believe our passage, Galatians 2.11 to 2.21, answers. Focusing upon God's grace entails understanding four truths. Four truths are laid out in this passage. Number one. Grace equalizes believers. The, foot, the, gra- uh, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. All right. Grace equalizes believers. We need to understand that to have a focus on God's grace. Secondly, grace is justification by faith alone. No ands, ifs, or buts about it. Grace is justification by faith by faith, alone. Third, we need to understand that grace is an exchanged life. When you trust in Christ, you identify with Christ, you're united with Christ in all of his experiences, you've been crucified with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, you have been ascended with Christ, and Christ is your life. He's living his life through the filter of your personality. That's called the exchange life. We're going to look into that. And then, to focus on God's grace, we need to understand that grace required the cross of Christ. If there was any other way that we could be saved, then there would be many roads that lead up the mountain to God. But there's only one way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except By me. The cross of Christ was necessary. It was required to satisfy the justice of God and to provide for our forgiveness. And we praise God for our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at each of these. First of all, grace equalizes believers. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, we see it says, when Cephas came to Antioch. Now that's Peter, Peter was a leader in the Jerusalem church. The Jerusalem church was mostly made up of Jewish believers in the Messiah Yeshua, in the Messiah Jesus. Whereas the Antioch church was mostly made up of Gentile believers with some Jewish believers, and uh, they had trusted in Christ. So Peter decides he's going to come on over to Antioch from Jerusalem to see what's going on with the mostly Gentile believers. And Paul had to oppose him. He had to confront him, or as I like to have that phrase, he had to care front him. Now, when you love somebody and you see them going astray, you've got to tell them the truth. You've got to care enough to confront them, which is to care front them. And that's what Peter did to his face. And he had to do it before others as well because he was sinning publicly. He was off target publicly. He stood condemned by his very actions. So Paul gives the background. He says, here's the backstory. Before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. Now this is significant because... You remember that Peter in Acts chapter 10 tells a story about how he was on Simon the Tanner's roof uh, getting cooled down and hungry and thinking and he went into a trance and he saw a sheet come down from heaven and had all these unclean animals, non-kosher animals. And the Lord said to him, take up and eat. And he's like, no, these are not kosher. These are unclean animals. And the Lord said to him, don't call unclean what I call clean. And this was a preparation for him to go to Cornelius' house, a Gentile centurion, uh, to share the gospel with him and his household, and they all came to Christ. God made the sinner Gentiles, believers, he cleansed them of their sins, and they were clean in his sight and we are not to call unclean what the Lord calls clean. So you would think that Peter would remember that. Also, in Acts chapter 15, you have the Jerusalem Council. That was a major church meeting. And during the Jerusalem Council, they said, what should we do about Gentiles? And Paul reported how they were coming to Christ and how they were exhibiting the evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives just as much as Jewish converts, Messianic Jews, completed Jews, were showing the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And they said, well, then let's accept the Gentiles as genuine, authentic believers and not, let's not require them to become Jewish before they can become Christian. They don't need to be circumcised, they don't need to follow the Jewish law or the Jewish customs in order to be Christians. They're saved by grace and by grace alone. Let's agree on that. So that was a decision that Peter was in on in the Jerusalem council. So he knew better. Ever know better, but do something different? Well, that's called hypocrisy. And we see that it says, but when they, that is the legalists, the Judaizers, the circumcision party from James. And by the way, James was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And he was the half-brother of Jesus. And he was on the conservative side. So there were certain Jewish customs he just did, not for salvation, but just because he was Jewish. And that's okay. But this group of people were like Christian Pharisees. Or maybe they were not even Christian. They were legalists who said, no, you've got to follow the law to be saved. You've got to be a a Jew before you can become a Christian. And you know what? They exerted such pressure that Peter began to slowly, in the Greek, the idea is he began to gradually draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. Can you imagine that? The Gentiles say, okay, Peter, let's go have lunch at Nash's tomorrow, and Peter's like, "Oh, you know what? Something came up. I can't do that. Uh, and oh, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't make that. I can't make that." And eventually, they're like, "Something's going on with Peter. He's not joining us for lunch anymore. What's going on? Wait a second. Is there something wrong with us? Is he not accepting us? Is there a problem with us? Do we not measure up as Christians? That's what was going on." And uh, the reason Peter was withdrawing from the Gentiles and not eating with them and eating was a symbol that they were equal and, and eating was a symbol that he accepted them because he was not eating with them. He was sending a signal to them, they're not equal and he, they're not accepted. He was withdrawing from them. By the way, when we get into conflict, what are the two handles that we grab onto? One is we either blame and attack or we withdraw and give the cold shoulder. Is that not true of humans? Well, this is where he's withdrawing and giving the cold shoulder, and silence is not golden. Silence is negative. They're feeling totally hurt, left out, excluded, and all because Peter wanted to be a people pleaser. He was afraid of this circumcision group. They had their, uh, their tablets out, and they were writing who was naughty and nice and they were about to put Peter's name on the naughty list and he started withdrawing from the Gentiles and they said, okay, you're still nice for now. And he was trying to please people. And you know, Paul said, I'm not a people pleaser because if I was a people pleaser, I would not be a pleaser of God. I tell it like it is. I'll confront anybody. I don't care if he's an apostle because I'm an apostle too. I've got authority straight from Christ. And if I've got to care front him to his face, I'm going to do it. And that's exactly why I did, because he was a hypocrite. And his hypocrisy was having a ripple effect on other people. The other Jewish believers joined Peter in his hypocrisy. And they, together, Peter and these Jewish Christians were doing that. And suddenly Barnabas, even Barnabas, you have to stop right now and say, no way. Not Barnabas. Barnabas, he's the son of encouragement. He's always loving everybody and caring for everybody. He's the one who sought out Paul and brought him to Antioch and introduced him to everybody. Paul's the guy who has your back. And he, even Barnabas, deserted the Gentiles, sent them a message that they weren't measuring up, No way. I can't believe it. I'm surprised. The word hypocrisy is to play act, is to put a mask in front of you, and you may be sad, but you have a mask of happiness. It's to know what to do, but to do the opposite, but pretend you're doing the right thing. Hypocrisy. It happens. It's in the church. And you know what? Here's the key. The key is, verse 14, Paul says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. That's the key. The gospel is a straight line. Don't go to the right of it. Don't go to the left of it. The gospel is a plumb line. You know what a plumb line is? It's a weight on the end of a line so that when you're building a wall, you hold the plumb line next to the wall and you can see if the wall is straight. It's the equivalent of a level today. And so the gospel is... The measure of truth, and it's what determines whether you're right on or off by several degrees, which will lead to being off by miles. When I took map and compass as a Boy Scout, I was off by only a few degrees, but by the time I was done, I was off by a few miles. And you know what? You've got to do corrective measures. You've got to adjust your course to keep in line with the gospel. So, because he was out of line with the gospel, Paul said to Cephas, in front of them all, because his sin was affecting others, he had to confront them publicly. He said, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile. You know, I'm not sure what he was eating, if he was eating some pork chops or ham, but he was living like a Gentile. when he was associating with these Gentile Christians. How is it then that suddenly you get high and mighty and holy Joe on the Gentiles and you, by essence, put a pressure upon them to conform to this circumcision group that's saying they've got to be Jews and they've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. Can't you see what you're doing? You're playing into that legalism and you're leading these people away from God's grace. Don't do that. I won't stand for that. We've got to uphold the grace of God. We are saved by God's unmerited favor, by faith alone and not by our works, and we're not going to send any other message but that one. We're going to be in line, in tune with, and in marching step with the truth of the gospel. No compromise. Secondly, we need to understand that grace is justification by faith alone. Notice this. The key verse is verse 16, but we're going to warm up with verse 15. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you see how many times it mentions faith in Jesus In verse 16, how many? Three times. In the Jewish Hebrew mindset, to say something twice is to emphasize it. To say something three times is to underscore it in bold print capital letters with many exclamation marks. That's how important this is. Grace is being put right with God by faith Alone. Not by our works, not by our merits, not by our personality, not by our wealth. The only way we're saved is by trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior by faith and what he has done for us on the cross. There are two kinds of religion. There's all the religions of the world that say you've got to do something in order to be accepted by God. And then there's Christianity that says something has been done for you. Christ has died on the cross so that you can be accepted by God. All these other religions are exercise in futility as humans are trying to reach up to God, and they can't. But Christianity is God reaching down to us through his son Jesus, giving his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. Grace is by justification, by faith alone. It says in Ephesians two eight nine 9, the classic verse that teaches this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's the gospel. That's grace. So when you and I are tempted to try to atone for our own sins, when you and I are trying to uh, make up for bad things we've done by overachieving, what are we saying? We're saying salvation is on my shoulders. It's up to me to atone for my sins. That's not right. You've been forgiven because Jesus paid for your sin in full and you are to rejoice in that forgiveness. Because God gave you the faith even to believe, and he gets all the glory. uh, Third, grace is an exchanged life. We see this in verse 20, but we're warming up with verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, at this point, I take a box that says, Playtex living gloves. And I pull out these yellow Playtex gloves, and I lay one on the pulpit, and I say, this is a living glove? It looks dead to me. It's just laying there on my pulpit. But the magic is, I take that limp little uh, glove and I stick my hand in it and suddenly the glove is animated. It has life. It's a living glove. When you trusted in Christ, you so identified with Christ and you were so united with Christ that when Christ was crucified, you were crucified with him. You died to the law. So you were a murderer on death row and you were executed by the electric chair, and the law is no longer over you, you are forgiven, pardoned, acquitted, set right with God. God has declared you righteous. That's what justification means. It's just as if I'd never sinned. So praise God that we have been crucified with Christ. We have died to the power of sin and the penalty of sin and one day we'll be free of the presence of sin in heaven altogether. We've been crucified with Christ, and yet the life we live in this physical body is really Christ living his life through us. I didn't receive Christ as a self-improvement plan. When I received Christ, I died to self, and Christ came and took residence in my life. He's in charge, and he's living his life through me, And I'm to cooperate with his Holy Spirit as I set my mind on what the Spirit desires. That's how it works. I was thinking about this even as I was waking up this morning and I said, Jesus in me, live your resurrection life through me. That's what we should be praying. Jesus in me, live your resurrection life through me. How do we live the Christian life? In our strength and in our power and by our personality? No! It's impossible to live the Christian life by our own efforts and our own conniving. The only way we can live the Christian life is the Holy Spirit of Jesus expressing himself through the unique filter of our personality. So he doesn't make us all cookie cutter the same. We're still different in our personalities But Christ, by His Spirit, is living His life in us and through us. And our job is not to try harder, but to rely. Not to try, but to rely. To rely on the Lord. Stop striving and start trusting. Say, Jesus, live your life through the filter of my personality. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved me and you gave yourself for me on the cross so I could be forgiven. But you didn't stop there. You gave me your righteousness. But you didn't stop there. You gave me your Holy Spirit. But you didn't stop there. You're living your life through me. I exchange my sinful life, which has died, for your resurrection life, which is powerful. And I let you have reign of my life, your master and captain of my life, live through me. Whatever you say, I say, I, I, captain. Yes, sir, commander-in-chief. The Lord is in charge. And finally, grace requires the cross of Christ. In Galatians 2.21, Paul wrote, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now, this is extremely important because the concept of righteousness is something most people don't get. People think they can do enough good things that it's going to outweigh the bad things, and God will accept them, and thereby, they're righteous. They say, well, I'm not an axe murderer. Well, that's a pretty low bar. I'm not an axe murderer. Terrible! Well, I'm better than some people who don't even go to church. Well, that's a low bar. The The bar is set so high, none of us can achieve it. We've got to be perfect. We've got to be completely holy. We've got to have the righteousness that is from God. Our righteousness is but like filthy rags. Our righteousness stinks to high heavens. It falls short of the glory of God. The only way that we can be put right with God is, is by receiving his grace, his unmerited favor, trusting in Jesus Christ, and when we trust in Christ, we receive the righteousness that is from God. It's through Christ dying on the cross that this righteousness has been provided. But if we think we can work to earn that righteousness or to make that righteousness glow and shine better, then we're trying to do what Christ has already accomplished for us on the cross. We are making the cross unnecessary if we think we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We cannot pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. The Lord has reached into the miry muck of quicksand when we were sinking deep in our sin, and he pulled us out when we could not get out, and he put our feet on the rock of salvation, Jesus Christ, and all that is by the grace of God, and he's given us a right standing with him, and we stand in that righteousness from Jesus Christ, and there's not a thing we can do to add to that righteousness. So don't let anybody make you feel inferior in your faith. You're saved by faith alone, not by your works. Thank you, God, for your amazing grace. Now, here's what we do. There's three words. They all start with a B. The words are behave, believe, and belong. Which order should those words be in? Many Christians either say out loud or send a message to people, you've got to behave before you can believe and belong. Is that not true? You know, hey, clean up your act, and then come to church. Wrong! You believe, and you automatically belong, and the Holy Spirit does His sanctifying work in you, so that you behave more like Christ. That's the right order. Believe, belong, behave. But legalism says behave. Measure up. Shape up, or ship out. And you know, we can send that message overtly or covertly by our acceptance of people, by our glances at people, looking at them with the glasses on the end of our nose, shaking our heads disapprovingly. We can send the vibes that say, yeah, you don't measure up. And that's not the grace of God, is it? Well, we're going to close in prayer now that we've seen the four ways we are to focus on God's grace. We are to understand that Grace equalizes believers. Grace is justification by faith alone. Grace is an exchanged life, letting Jesus live his life through the filter of our personality. And grace requires the cross of Christ. So I'm going to read this then and then ask you to pray this prayer with me. It goes like this. Jesus, I trust in your finished work of paying for my sins in full on the cross. Wash me clean In your shed blood, and place upon me your robe of righteousness. Live your resurrection life through the filter of my personality. Lord, forgive us as a church for adding requirements to people that force them to behave before we say they can believe and belong. Would you pray with me this prayer out loud? Jesus. I trust in your finished work of paying for my sins and full on the cross. Wash me clean in your shed blood and place upon me your robe of righteousness. Live your resurrection life through the filter of my personality. Lord, forgive us for adding requirements to people that force them to behave before we say they can believe and belong. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.